MCC is a non-denominational country-style church, just a short 20-minute drive from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Although we're often considered a cowboy church, we're actually a community of diverse people from many different backgrounds who have a common commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And now, here's a message from Sunday Morning at MCC. Good morning. My name is Vicki King and my husband and I, John, and I have been attending this church since January last year, almost a year to the day. We had become unhappy with the church where we were at and been talking a couple of years about changing. And there were options in High River where we live, but we got to know people here, John especially, through brandings and whatnot that um, were occurring in our son Trevor's, who's just down the road. So on Sunday morning this time, we thought we would just head to Millerville and see what the church was like here. Well, we walked through the door and it was like old home week. Mike was here, Celia Duaney was here that day, Florence Hummel was here, our children went to school together, um, Harriman's were neighbors to the Kings forever. Um, we knew um, McPherson's and Bolton's casually over the years. And so it became a comfortable place right from the very beginning. So it wasn't long before we had decided to make the move and stay here. But before I go any further, let's pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this day that we can be together. We thank you for the freedom to be able to come here without fear of persecution. And Lord, I just ask, I give you permission to edit this presentation today in any way you like. Delete from it, add to it, whatever you want, Lord, thy will be done. I ask you for our protection because the dark one doesn't like people meeting and giving glory to God. And so protect us today, precious Jesus. And we ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. As I said, my name is Vicki Lynn Jensen King. I was born in the Tabor area in, well, let's just say several decades ago. My dad was Mormon, my mother is Catholic. I married a United Church man, was or converted by a Baptist minister and his wife, and was baptized in the Highwood River by a United Church minister, accompanied by John. I consider myself to be a truly ecumenical person, therefore. The first few years of my life were fairly uneventful, living together in a loving family in a small community west of Tabor called Barnwell. And when my folks were, when I was five rather, mom and dad bought a farm. And it was east of, of Tabor in a little place called Fincastle area. And at that time, the government was opening, had opened a township of grassland. 36 sections, to the veterans of the Second World War. 
the veterans were allowed to buy or offered to buy a quarter section of land, 160 acres, for $3,500. My mom and dad did that, and the next year purchased the adjoining piece that had not been claimed yet, and that was pasture land. We moved there when I was six. As I mentioned, um, this was open, this land was open to all veterans, not just Canadian veterans. So our neighbors were Dutch, Czechoslovakian, Hungarian, German even, and a lot of our neighbors were the Japanese who had been moved off the West Coast during the war. And so um, our little community was a little United Nations. The land was grazing land, and it was never meant to be farmed. And the minute, very sandy soil, and the minute the plow hit the ground and the southern Alberta winds came up, the soil just blew away. I can remember my mom and dad both being out on tractors trying to keep the, bring up clumps big enough that the wind would not carry them away. And I can also remember seeing only eight inches at the top of the fence post. The ditches were full, the crops simply moved into the next township. Things improved dramatically, though, when irrigation came into the country and vegetables were grown abundantly, and sugar beets in particular. And haven't we all heard of Tabor corn? And Jensen Tabor corn. <laughs> but no relation. So in my preteen years, um, my mom and dad had started going to the Mormon church in Barnwall when I was very small, or even before I was born. And my mother was teaching Sunday school there to the little ones until one day the lesson was supposed to be on the Pope being the Antichrist. And that was the end of her. There was no more, no more church. But when we moved on to the farm and in my preteen years, the Mormon home visitors started coming to our home. And, of course, the theme was, well, Joseph Smith had had his vision, and therefore he had corrected all of the corruption that had happened in the church up until his time. On the other hand, my mother was... <laughs> Well, she was very good about allowing them to come into the house, and they would be there about once a month. On the other hand, my mother being Catholic, um, and since we didn't go to church on Sundays, my mother would bake. My mother was always baking, though. Had the best cinnamon buns in the whole country. Not so sure about cream puffs, though. And because I was not in school, I was expected to help, of course. Of course, I did. But every Sunday, without fail, I would get the lecture, the sermon. And it was about how the Catholic Church was the only church because it was the first church and descended straight from Jesus himself. And I heard things like... Um, 
the ordinary people were not allowed to read scripture because it might be misinterpreted. And therefore, it only came through the, the priests. I also heard that if you weren't Catholic, you weren't going to get to heaven. So, and I hated these lectures every Sunday. I, I just didn't like them at all. So there was always this push-pull in my life between the Catholic and the Mormons. But in my early teens, the Lord intervened directly. I had been invited to a group called, um, oh boy, now I've just lost it here. Got to find my, the fireside. And what it was, was the Mormon Church Youth Group. The topic of the evening, or the speakers for the evening, rather, were two Mormon missionaries from Salt Lake City. And the topic was how to bring more people into the church. There were about 30 of us young people there, I think. And this is the way the program worked. Find someone in the, in the school that was not really popular, that was a little bit on the outside, befriend them, give them lots and lots of attention, invite them to the firesides, and in time a letter would be sent home to their folks asking if they could permanently come to the firesides. Continue to make them feel like a million bucks. Lots of attention. And in time, we will send a letter home to their folks asking if they can join the church. And I was sitting there <laughs> hearing all these things and thinking, what on earth is going on here? Don't they know that there are two or three of us here that are not Mormon? And they're spilling all their secrets to us? But I also realized that the Lord made that happen because it gave me clarity. And I have always, I will be eternally grateful for that meeting. By the time I was 17, I decided that I was going to join the Catholic Church with my mother's encouragement, of course. And <laughs> why not? <laughs> and as I said, I'd made that decision. That's what I was going to do. By that time, John and I had been dating for a while. And when I told him my plans, and we were getting very serious about our future together. And when I told him of my plan, he said, no, there would be no us if that's what happened. Because in the early 60s, that's the way it was. The Catholics married the Catholics, the Protestant married the, Catholic, the Protestants, and they very seldom came together, except if the Protestant partner agreed to allow the children to be brought up Catholic. And John wasn't going to have any part of that, naturally. Don't blame him one bit. So my thought of becoming Catholic was abandoned. A good friend in the community many years later said to me that was probably the best thing that could have happened because I had that much less to unlearn 
when I became a born-again Christian, and I'm sure that was true. John and I married in 1965, the end of October, October 30th, and that year, in, in that day and age, Halloween was not allowed to be held on Sunday. So Halloween this year was held on our wedding day, October 30th. We had much trepidation that something would happen to people's cars out there, but nothing ever happened. John's parents gathered all the friends and all the relatives that they could, could muster and had 42 people coming to our wedding. Me coming from a Catholic and Mormon heritage had to cut the list down to aunts and uncles only. But it was a grand affair. I entered into our marriage with two expectations. The first was that I would be working with John side by side, as I'd seen my parents do. And secondly, that since John's older brother had been married six months before us, and since I was an only child, then now I would have a sister. Someone to have tea with, someone to be friends with. But it took me about a month to realize that the latter was definitely not going to happen, and not interested to have a sister, or the sister wasn't interested. And it took me about that long, too, to realize that this was a family operation, started before I got there, run by the men in the family, and there wasn't an intimate day-to-day -day position for me there in the church. Coupled with that, because I was an only child, I hadn't learned the skills to um, interact with siblings, to know how a family really worked with many members in it instead of just three. And so it was quite um, a difficult transition in a lot of ways. I've heard it said, no, I'm not going to tell you that. The Lord said, stop right there. And so I will. And so I will. We moved into a small house across the driveway from John's older brother and his wife, just across the driveway, this far away. And it was a very small house. And it was a very cold winter. And we found that, being that the bedroom was one side in this very small house, was uh, against the wall on the north side that our covers would be frozen to the wall when we woke up in the morning. But luckily, we had an electric blanket and our love to keep us warm. <laughs> our son, Marty, our first son, was married a little more than a year later and moved into this little, little house with us, a very cold little house in November. And the poor baby. Mama had, the new mama had taken to heart what the nurses said in the hospital. People keep their babies too warm. You must not keep your baby too warm. So this poor little boy spent the first night at home in nothing but a t-shirt and a diaper and a receiving blanket. 
and he was unhappy. <laughs> the next day, my mom and dad came up, and mom took one look at all this and wrapped him up in the warmest sleeper she could find and a couple more blankets, and he became a much happier baby. Our second son, Dale, was born two and a half years later while we were still in the little house. And, but because this little house was getting so crowded, the company earlier, three years earlier, had purchased a uh, parcel of land for us. And um, we moved there in 1969, just before Christmas. It was the most beautiful little ranch in the country, just as one neighbor called it, and it really was. A thousand acres of grassland, little farmland, the house was three-quarters of a mile off the main road. The house was on a hill, and there was tiered lawn looking over Tongue Creek. And the view to the mountains was absolutely incredible. And it was so good to finally be off by ourselves with our little family. Trevor was born two and a half years later after that, and our family was complete. At this time, I was doing what all young moms do in the church, teaching the younger grades in, in Sunday school, and quite in taking my turn, quite enjoying that. But I would come home from church every Sunday, and there would be a space in my heart that hadn't been filled, that hadn't been fed. And I would say, Lord, there has to be more than this. I had seen my mom's faith, and I knew there was more than this. And then the Lord answered the yearnings of my heart when two simultaneous events happened. First of all, the church had decided that they were going to start a CGIT group, Christian Girls in Training. And because I'd never had a daughter, I was attracted to this, and so offered to be their teacher. But there was a problem with it that there weren't very many young girls in our congregation. So I had the bright idea that I would go out and visit every minister in town, asking that if one of their girls were approached by one of our girls, it, could they come to CGIT? Everything was going swimmingly well until I got to the Baptist minister's home. Hey, Lauren and Kathleen Irwin invited me into their home. We had tea and small talk, and then I started my pitch. And Lauren listened, Pastor Irwin listened to me, and then he asked, what are you going to teach the girls about a personal relationship with the Lord? I said, well, you know, there was three, three, three churches got together and made, formed this CGIT. You know, it was Christian-based. But what are you going to teach the girls about a personal relationship with the Lord? And I couldn't answer him because I didn't know what that was. But by the time I left that house today and that day, I was a born-again Christian. 
And I, <laughs> the yearning in my heart was filled. That space was filled. And I knew something incredibly important had happened, but I had never heard that from the Mormons and the Catholic. You know, I just knew it had happened. Of course, Satan doesn't take things well like that. And as I was going out the door, I felt an enormous um, guilt because this had not happened in my own home church. Of course, whenever we first come to the Lord, we're told, tell someone. And so I did. I went home and I told um, John about this. And I got ahead of myself here just now, folks, because the first thing that happened was John was, the company was expanding the feedlot. And because John was the cattleman, he was in charge of the building. And he asked a carpenter from High River named Gordon Cameron to come out and help him. Gordon would spend lunch with us and was told John that he was impressed that we said the blessing before we ate, which we always did. And so he was a fine Christian man, very tall, very gentle, and very solid Christian. And I'm sure he went back and started praying for this young family that they would come to see the Lord. Right after that was when I went to see Irwin's. A couple of weeks after that, I got a call from Kathleen Irwin saying that the church was starting, or there was going to be, a Bible study started for young moms. And would I be invited? I was invited, would I like to attend? Of course, babysitting was provided. And John asked me if I was going to do that, and I said I would like to because I knew nothing about Scripture, and I would really like to know more. This was an interdenominational group, and had Baptist ladies, Catholic lady, myself, Church of the Nazarene, there was a real variety, and it was interesting to hear everybody's viewpoint about the scriptures in the books as we moved along. And guess where the study was going to be held? At the Cameron home. Thank you, Lord, for that. And so started many years of Bible studies until the group got too large for the Cameron home. And so it was decided that the group would break into two. Someone had offered a home, but nobody was willing to be the leader of that group. And I heard this, and I thought, no, I'm, I'm perfectly happy where I am. Kathleen was, was mentoring me through all sorts of things, so I wasn't paying too, too much attention to that part of it. The thing was, a couple of years before that, I had discovered the commentaries of Dr. Ironside, I don't remember his first name, but his name was Dr. Ironside. And I was truly impressed by the grasp and explanation of the scriptures that he provided. And so I would buy his commentary on the book we were studying, and every once in a while, chirp in to Kathleen's um, 
study, guidance of the study, with Dr. Ironside's truths. So we were still at an impasse at the, the meeting. Who's going to teach the second group? And the Lord had been nudging me to do this, but, and I was pretty well resisting. But Kathleen said, let's pray. So we took our turn praying, and the Lord said, that's for you. And I said, but Lord, my husband is not a minister. I have not been a Christian that long. I am ill-equipped to do this. And then, for the first time in my life, I heard the audible voice of God in my mind. And he said, you will do what you're told to do. (laughs) Well, that was pretty clear. (laughs) So when the prayer was over, I said, I think you've got a leader for that second group. Kathleen was immensely relieved for more than one reason, likely, but especially since she had seen someone who was not a born-again Christian who knew nothing about Scripture become someone who was eager and wanting to learn and was now in a place where she felt confident of letting me be that second person. And so began several years of guiding Bible studies. In 1971, our youngest son, Trevor, was born, and our family was complete. At that time, I had, I was a young mom with three sons under five. Marty was a month short of five when Trevor was born. And I seriously thought I was going insane. (laughs) Seriously. I had no training as I mentioned earlier, about how to nurture, how to discipline, how to just handle this little family. And I was super frustrated. I needed time alone to be me, my time, and I wasn't getting it. At that time, the home was divided differently than these days. Dad provided the living, Mom looked after the home and the children. And so this situation I was in was my problem. And if I had a problem, I had to fix it. So I prayed a lot, and I cried a lot, and I prayed some more, and Then with a couple of ladies in our community, friends of mine, we took what was called a parent effectiveness training course. (laughs) And it helped. Coupled with the fact that as our children got older and went to school, there was more me time available. The study in High River had a few East Longview uh, ladies there, which was our community. And so this decision was made to let the two groups join, because some people had moved out of town, etc. Let the two groups join, and another one would be formed in our neighborhood. 
again, an, a, a Baptist lady offered her home, and I agreed to be the leader. At one of these meetings, the subject of adult baptism arose, and I uh, was interested the, the Baptist church in High River was going to be doing this. And one of the ladies, the Catholic ladies, decided that that's what she was being led to do. I felt the same desire, but I really didn't want it to be in the Baptist church because I knew it would cause trouble in the family, and I didn't want to do that. But one of the ladies said, why don't you get baptized in the river? And the river was only a stone's throw away from where we met, and that sounded like a great idea. I went home, I talked to John, he thought it was all right. I talked to my minister, he agreed with that, but he had to run it past the board. The board, hallelujah, agreed, so a date was set. One fine summer day, I was baptized in the Highwood River when the water was warm enough by a United Church minister accompanied by John. Perfect. Perfect. How precious, and thank you, Lord, for that opportunity. In the mid-'80s, things were getting fairly dire in the agriculture community. Interest rates were very high, and crops were, could not be sold for the cost of production. So, close to 1988, the decision was made to give the company back to the bank. We did not declare bankruptcy. Every single bill was paid. But our family was the first to feel the effects of this decision, and we moved off the most beautiful little ranch in the country. Our family went into a tailspin. Our boys were old enough to pretty close to being able to be worked into the day-to-day operations of the company. And (laughs) it was just a horrible time for us all. Suddenly the boys had no future, and we were high and dry. We grieved. We grieved that loss. Loss of identity. Loss of value. Loss of... What we, the lifestyle we'd been used to. But the hardest part was, what happened? <laughs> but that eventually was answered too. The Lord provided a very nice place for us to land, just across the road on a, cor- a half section of land, where the owner was intending to move there when he bought it, but he needed someone now to rent the land and look after the place, including a cow herd which was wonderful. By this time, John and his older brother were the only ones left in King and Son's ranches. And he decided that farming was definitely not his forte, and he decided eventually to take, to go on the road trucking. It was not a decision that I wanted, but the decision was made, and that's what happened. So... He went working, John found employment with a company in Fort McLeod. Eventually, we had our own truck, and he made a call to Westlock one day asking, or offering the truck if they needed his services up there. But they had a better idea. 
They wanted him to surf, sur supervise cattle in feedlots where the cattle were going to go to Greeley, Colorado when they were finished. So, in order to make, to be central, we decided to move to central Alberta where John could do his work during the day and be home at night. And we moved to Lacombe. And I thought I had died and gone to heaven. I finally had my husband all to myself, and it was so wonderful. We lived in Lacombe for 19 months, but then we had an offer to move back to High River, where I would look after a senior in his home and we would live in his home. Being back in High River and in familiar territory and with time on my hands, I started to feel a real this need in my heart again to become closer to the Lord. And I felt this time that it should be a prayer group. And so I contacted a good friend of mine. We gathered a few people, friends together, born-again friends, and we started having a Bible study. The Lord would provide a scripture for us each week. It wasn't long before we started running into things like Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Just what we've been hearing here lately. And we were encouraged to put on the full armor of God, to take our stand against the devil's schemes. And so, in a way, I had a war room before I even knew what a war room was. But... The knowledge that came out of this, that the devil and all his crew could cause so much havoc <laughs> and um, be so strong in their own way, did give me comfort because I realized then that the things particularly that had happened to us at the ranch were not totally, completely our fault. There had been things going on there behind the scenes and there was a dark hand in it too. One other thing that came out of this study and has been a life changer for me was that I made a comment one time that, that uh, I, didn't, I was questioning my value because we no longer had material things that we'd had before. Oh, my good friend who was leading the study took exception to that. And she took on one of those flip charts and started writing about things that material things that did not make you valuable in God's sight. And it wasn't the amount of money you made, the car you drove, the home you had, the accomplishments, your education, your fitness, how, how accomplished your children was, were. It was that the one and only thing was that you were a blood-bought child of the Most High God, and that's what made you valuable. <sighs> what a life changer. So I'm going to skip ahead to the present. I work part-time at Mark's Work Warehouse in High River. I feel this is my mission field because there are people that come in that I've known for very many years, having lived in the community for over 50 years, and total strangers, too, that have come in and are just broken. And prayer is my forte. I can do this. So I asked, do you want, would you like me to pray for you? I would pray for you if you would like me to. And I go, I pray it 
not in at the store but i take their name and i put it on my prayer list at home and i pray for them and now that brings me to you who thought a year ago when we came through that door that john would be there welcome my sister welcome my brother we'd never heard that where we were before who knew a week or two later Mr. Timothy would be there giving you the the biggest hug in the whole world and if you were lucky maybe an extra who knew that the worship would be volunteer groups of people different each week and that we would stand for 15 minutes and worship the Lord who knew we had heard about the prayers of the people but never prayed with scripture alongside we certainly had heard about the offering because we were asked for money more and more constantly so we were telling oh oh and then everybody stopped for a coffee break <laughs> and John and I looked at each other what what is this and not only that they all came back and sat down to listen to a 45 minute sermon and didn't care that it was 45 minutes long so who knew we told our friends in Harbor about this and she said how do you get people to come back after they've had lunch and i said you feed them and they'll come back and i thought ooh that was a flippant statement but it wasn't because if you feed them the bread of god the word and the living water they will come back so folks what have i learned in my decades of living and my dec- 30 40 some years of being a born again christian i have learned that I am a blood-bought child of the most high god that Jesus died on that cross for me he was the sacrificial lamb the last one and the last one that was needed and he died for me he died for Vicky King and i'd like to have you say that Jesus died on the cross for me and insert your own name in it Jesus died on the cross for me, Vicky King, for all of mankind before me and all of mankind yet to come till judgment day. <sighs> for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And what kind of love is that? Something that we have a hard time fathoming, don't we folks? The second thing I know for a fact is that this is truth. It is in 2 Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. This is the truth. If this word says that the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you, then that's the way it'll be. And if the Lord said he will never leave you nor forsake you, then that's the truth. And I'm going to skip forward right to to Matthew 
seven seven because I could absolutely get lost in the book of Matthew, especially verses or chapters five to seven. And I invite you to say these things with me because you've heard them here before. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And Jesus goes on to say, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, you will give him a snake? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And finally, folks, I conscientiously try to live in a state of thankfulness. Thank you, for, thank you, Lord, in the darkest of times when it seems like there's no end in sight, and we'll never get moved past this. The Lord is there the whole time. And thank you in the brightest of times, Lord, when things are just so wonderful you can hardly stand it. And the Lord is there beside me too. And so that is something I endeavor to do. And there ends my t testimony. <laughs> and let's pray one more time. Lord, I thank you and praise you. I thank you and praise you for your presence here today. And I again ask protection. And as we leave this place, your hand will be upon us. And he asks these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You'll find a warm, relaxed atmosphere at MCC. We love worship and music here. We are a non-denominational evangelical congregation. So all are welcome. Coffee and snacks are served. Children's church and child care are available.